0: Welcome to Shure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on the basis of John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 on May 15th, 2022. Grace and mercy and peace are all yours through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Since it's just two verses, I'd really like to read uh, our sermon text just one more time today from John chapter 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is the word of God. Just two verses. (laughs) Just two verses, but there is so much packed into these two verses. And these two verses really take place amidst a, a larger context. If you were to open up your, your Bibles and, and would page, just maybe a page ahead to the beginning of John chapter 8, uh, here's what you'd find. You'd find uh, the Pharisees, uh, these, these Jewish leaders, who brought to Jesus this woman who had been caught in adultery. And they brought this woman to Jesus who was caught in adultery with the expressed purpose of presenting a trap for Jesus. And so in front of Jesus, they accused her, and then they they kind of prodded Jesus. And and they said this, In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? Now, this, this wasn't the first time the Pharisees had done something like this to Jesus, where they had come and posed a question to him with, with potentially t- two different answers, and both answers would have been problematic. And, and so they're setting a trap in this way. If Jesus answers, e- either way, uh, they can accuse him on the basis of something. Y- yet, as you read through the Gospels, you'll find again and again when Jesus is presented with two options in what seems like a trap, he creates a third. <laughs> he, he, he leads them in a different direction because he, he's caring for their spiritual lives, and he cares for the, the truth of Scripture. And and often what, what comes from humans isn't so black and white when it comes from, from God. And so he encourages the crowd there, the Pharisees there, to look into their own hearts. And, and if they can look into their own hearts and be reflective in that manner and, and say that they are blameless, say that they have not sinned, then Jesus gives them permission. Permission to pick up that stone and throw it at that, that woman. They have the right to carry out that justice if they themselves are blameless. And so the people did that. They looked into their hearts, and what they found wasn't blameless. What they found in their heart was sin. And one by one, they all walked away until it was just Jesus and this woman left. And Jesus gave her grace, and Jesus forgave her. Then it seems like a little time passes, Jesus again finds himself in front of a crowd of people and he's teaching them. And he's trying to express to them just who he is. And he's doing that by, by bringing out the connection that he has with his father. And so he tells them that, that he was sent here by his father. That, that birth that happened in that stable around those animals where he was laid in the manger, that was the father sending him here. He, he, he brings out the fact that he came here to do the father's will That he came to complete his work, to be lifted up on that cross. And in the verse just before our section today, verse 30, it says that some of those in the crowd believed in him. It's not a surprise where the word of God is spoken. People believe. Yet, verse 31 says to the Jews who believed him. Now, it seems like such a small thing in English. Um, In verse 30 it says... They believed in him. In verse 31, it says they believed him. It's it's really subtle, and it doesn't get brought out in the English very well, so you're just going to have to take my word for it, that that in the the original language, it's a little bit more obvious. That there is a difference between those talked about in verse 30 and those talked about in verse 31. Those talked about in verse 30, those who believed in him. These were ones that, that seemed to actually have faith. Like saving faith, they believed in Jesus as their savior. They trusted in Him as such. Those that we see in verse thirty-one, those who believed Him, didn't seem to have faith in Jesus yet. Uh, they were favorably disposed towards Jesus, but they didn't yet believe in Him. It's a distinction, right? Uh, maybe, maybe a fine distinction, but really, I. It's really not that fine, and really, it still exists today. There are still people that are favorably disposed toward Jesus, yet don't actually believe in him. They think of Jesus as kind of this nice idea, an idea that will you know, potentially make the world a little bit better place, and so we'll just we'll let them believe what they believe. There's people that will send their kids to a Christian school in hopes that their kids will learn Good morals and grow up in a safe environment, but they don't see Jesus as vital. They don't see Jesus as absolutely necessary for life and to face death. They may pay Jesus lip service. They may say they believe in Jesus. They may even come to church occasionally, Christmas and Easter, yet they don't hold to God's word. There, there are even some that go through a catechism class, like, like you two have gone through. And they, they do well on the memory work, and they do well on the quizzes and the tests. But to them, catechism is just another class. The Bible is just another textbook. The knowledge is, is nice, but not life-giving. The Bible is a good one-time read, but not something that you go back to again and again for comfort and for strength, not something that you carry with you uh, throughout your, your life. And Jesus is really concerned about that. He's concerned about, he was concerned about that back then. He's still concerned about that in the hearts of his people today because Jesus knows something that, that we're maybe oblivious to sometimes. Jesus knows that if he is not holding the number one place in your heart, if he's not controlling your heart, then something or someone else will. And the world offers a whole lot of attractive possibilities. The world offers a whole lot of things that want to compete for that number one spot. In, in, if you go back to Jesus' day, what it was was this hyper sense of moralism, at least in the, in the Pharisees. Uh, they, they were obsessed with the law. They loved the law. And this, this number one place in their heart was filled by where they thought they stood in the hierarchy of law keepers. They were pretty... Uh, delighted and satisfied by by how they kept the law or how they thought they kept the law anyways. They were pretty delighted and satisfied in propping themselves up on the the sins of others while ignoring their own sin and their own deep need in their heart. The the truth that's conveyed in here and, and, and the rest of Scripture is that if there is a void in the top spot in your heart, someone or something else will fill it. Now, not, not much has changed in, in human nature. Uh, we, we still fall into some of the things that the Pharisees fell into. Moralism is something that we, we maybe try to substitute for Jesus in the top spot of our heart. So we, we might be guilty of the, the same sin the Jews were guilty of, putting that in place of, of Jesus. But, but perhaps it's something else. Maybe it's the the persuasive um, the persuasive argument of a of a smart sounding college professor that seems to have answers to things that you have questions to. Uh, maybe it's the acceptance of your your peers, uh, the acceptance of, uh, of of somebody that you look up to, a role model in your life. Maybe it's the the, the endless pursuit of your dreams or your career aspirations. Really, anything could could be substituted in that, in that void that is in the top of your, your heart there. I, it wasn't, doesn't seem to me like that long ago, but I, I was confirmed in 2007, and I had 11 confirmands in my confirmation class. Of those 11, um, about, two, about three or four um, still attend church and still seem to somewhat be, regularly be connected to, to God's word. And that's not a shocking stat. We don't clutch our pearls as we, as we hear that stat because any confirmation class has those same stories. Because the world offers attractive possibilities. The world offers a whole lot of things that sound like truth and that are presented as truth, but really in the end are not. Whether that, that person that maybe walked away from church and walked away from God's word, whether they come to the realization of it or not, Uh, That thing that has been substituted for Jesus in the top spot of their heart will not satisfy. It will make promises, it certainly will, but those promises will not fulfill. And that's why Jesus says what he does. He says, if you are truly my disciple, you hold to my teaching. So the opposite is true. If you're not my disciple, you don't hold to my teaching. You don't hold to to my word. That's not what characterizes, uh, what characterizes a disciple as someone who holds to his word. What doesn't characterize a disciple is not holding to his word. Substituting something else besides Jesus and his word in the top spot in your heart. And Jesus is saying all of this not because he wants to control you. Not because he just wants you to do what, what he wants you to do. Jesus is, is saying this because he wants to, to bless you. Because there is a vast well of living water available to you in his word. His word that proclaims to you that your guilt is gone, that your sins are forgiven. His word that tells you exactly how that happened and it shows you the picture of his arms outstretched for you on that cross. It shows you the picture of of the empty tomb. It's this word that, that, that proclaims to you comfort and peace as you walk through anything in life. And it's this word that gives you the sure hope in life and in the face of, of death. Jesus wants you to drink from this well. Drink from this well of living water. Go back to his word constantly. Carry it with you throughout your life because he wants to bless you through it. And so he says, if you are truly my disciples, you will hold to my teaching. There's no lip service going on here This is a deep and abiding trust and faith in Jesus as the Savior, and it was planted there in you at your baptism, where the Holy Spirit created faith in your heart, where the Holy Spirit continues to strengthen that faith in your heart. Braylon, Elias, that's exactly where that happened for you. You were given faith at your baptism, among other things. You were washed clean of all of your sins. They've all been forgiven. Heaven was open to you. You were given heaven at your baptism, as you have come to learn and know. You were given that faith at your baptism. You were given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and this was all a part of God's plan. This was all a part of God's plan to save you and to bless you. It's a plan that he laid out pretty simply in a passage that you, I know you both have memorized. Go and make disciples of all nations. And how are disciples made? How are true disciples made? As Jesus is saying, baptizing and teaching. That faith that was given to you at your baptism, now you you have understanding and knowledge behind that. You have now learned what that faith is, and you have learned, as Jesus said in our reading today, that that truth that you've come to know, that truth will set you free. That truth will set you free from anything that might try to compete for that number one spot in your heart. That spot's taken. That's Jesus's. The search is over. It it sets you free from the searching through the lies of the world and gives you what it promises to give, and that's the truth. That that truth, it sets you free from the endless to-do list of trying to accomplish your own salvation, and it tells you it's been completed in Christ. It's all done when he said it's finished on the cross It is, and you can trust that that is the truth. And the truth sets you free from the the power of sin, the influence of the devil, and death. So, uh, no more memory work, no more sermon summaries, no more assignments. Those have, have all come to an end. But what we pray has not come to an end. It is your learning and growing and strengthening in God's Word. And I think it's not outstepping uh, out my bounds to speak for our congregation and say it's our, our prayer that you continue to have a deep and abiding faith in Jesus as your Savior and in the Holy Scriptures and you can continue to hold that in such high esteem and, and holy reverence throughout your, your life. I think it's a prayer of this congregation that you continue to grow and be strengthened in your connection to the Word and your connection to the, the sacrament, that you would uh, be in the Word often and that you would partake of the sacrament often. And it's, it's all of our hopes and prayers um, that the word would be your contentment in life and the heritage that you pass on to others because you know the truth and the truth has set you free. Amen.